0: My name is Daniel T, and welcome to the SA Fireside podcast. Each week, we bring you another fireside chat with an old-timer discussing the questions and topics we compiled surveying the world of SA. You can visit us on SAFireside.com to hear all the recordings, and if you have any questions or feedback, you can email me at daniel at SAFireside.com. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. It's our hope and our goal that this recording will help those old and new to the programme to gain more tools that will help further their recovery. And so, without further ado, it's time to hear today's Fireside Chat. Welcome back to another essay Fireside Chat. Uh, This week I sat with Claire from Jerusalem. Claire is sober since her first meeting on July the 3rd, 2002 joining a fledgling fellowship in jerusalem she's watched it grow over the past 20 years and so an amazing fellowship that it is today claire served in all service positions in the fellowship locally and she's sponsored many women over the years i do hope you enjoy today's episode thank you welcome back to another fireside chat today we have claire from israel joining us thank you so much for joining us claire thank you Great. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to get rolling, first of all, with the, uh, a little bit of your story, what it was like, wh- uh, what happened and what it's like now. And then we'll move into these uh, fireside chat questions from around the world of essay and, uh, and get your take on these topics. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic over to you. And thanks again for joining.
1: Thank you. Uh, so my name is Claire. I was created in the image of God. I am gratefully recovering. I am a sexaholic. My sobriety date is Wednesday, July third, two thousand and two. Um, so I came into program a mess. Okay, I guess everybody who's listening to this is an addict, or maybe um, maybe a counselor of some kind dealing with addicts. So you know what it's like to be an addict, to be a sex addict. Um, I was a mess. I was a mess. Um, I had a therapist tell me that uh seemed to, to him that uh my my sex my my sexual um desires or whatever, um were of an an addictive in nature. And I kinda laughed because uh it didn't I I I wasn't um wasn't getting very much in those days. But anyway, um, it took about a year from when he told me that until I finally hit a rock bottom and came into program. When I first came into program, I just I kind of sat and cried for about six weeks, and um, there are people who still tease me about that. Um, but eventually, I I was able to to really listen. And I was amazed because people, I I was relating to what people were saying and people relating to what I was saying. In those days, that was 19 and a half years ago. Um, there were very few women in program here in Israel, um, maybe around the world. And I was very often the only woman in the room. And that was really hard. I've heard it said that, um, you know, in the, in the, group of humanity addicts are at the bottom of the barrel and in the group of addicts sex addicts are at the bottom of the barrel and it seems to me that in the group of sex addicts women are in the bottom of the barrel a man acts out he's been a man Um, society looks at it a certain way Um, a woman acts out she's a slut and um, it was really hard it was really hard um, but I found that people saw that I was really serious about wanting recovery, and and I became one of the guys, and I w- I was really appreciative about that. Um, we uh, we were a small group back then. We've gotten bigger over over the years, um, and and I, I I don't feel I don't feel out of it. I I feel accepted in the rooms. Um, people appreciate my my struggle and my recovery and and I have I I'm 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 comfortable and and that's amazing and that it's really amazing for me. I um I actually did get sober when I came in and I've been sober. Um it, my sobriety is much much cleaner now than it was in the beginning. You know, I had to learn that I really can't read um, certain books or certain parts of books. Now, I'm not talking about pornography. I am i was never into pornography and such. I'm 68 years old. I forgot to mention that. So when I started acting out, there was no computer. There was no internet. There was no cyber sex. There was none of that. Um, so I didn't have that to deal with. And and I never got into that. Thank God. Um, but I, I've learned, you know, there are things that I things. I, my language has gotten much better, much clearer, um, much less. You know, it used to always be innuendo. You know, I would always like pick up on it. To me, everything was a sexual reference. Absolutely everything and um and I still deal with that sometimes but it's on a much lower level and I see it and it, and I know that no this is not where I want to go I I am so grateful to be in recovery and to know that I don't have to act out and and I don't want to do anything that's going to in any way um damage that um, chip away at it. So I'm I'm not interested in, you know, straddling the fence. You know, I hear a lot of people in program, you know, a lot of people, some people, you know, they want to do just enough. I don't want to do just enough. I want to be happy, joyous, and free. Happy, joyous, and free in in the big book comes after step nine. And, um, and then 10 and 11 and 12 keep me Keep me happy, joyous, and free, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I, I think that's that's enough of my story. Um, everybody out there knows what, how awful it is to be an active addiction, so I don't need to talk about it. Oh, so go ahead. What do you got for me?
0: Okay, thank you very much, Claire. Thanks for sharing. Um, you know, I was <coughs> I always remember and mentioned that. Uh, Uh, I was in the rooms just a few months before you, in the room. There was only one room. Well, there was two rooms in Israel, and there was just one in Jerusalem. And um, I escaped it uh, at the time, and then you came in a few months later. So our paths nearly crossed back then. And I'm glad that they've crossed uh, multiple times in meetings since since I came back five years ago. So I'm really grateful for that. So uh, like I said, we're going to go... Yeah, we're, we're going to go over these questions. Um, the, there's a bunch of different topics and and, and ideas. We're going to start with the concept of lust. A lot of people um, think that their problem is the actual acting out when they walk into the rooms, whatever it is that they're acting out with, however they're acting out um, sexually. And, uh, and then... Sexaholics Anonymous comes to us and tells us, no, actually, it's not the acting out, it's not the behaviors, it's the lust underneath that. So we say we're powerless over lust. How do you understand lust? What does lust mean for you?
1: So, what is lust? Well, first I want to say that um, acting out wasn't my problem. And people A lot of people talk about this. Acting out was my solution i I had low self esteem i I had different issues um going back I started acting out when I was a very young child masturbating um, and then you know it developed as i developed it developed um but that was my that was my solution and and my solution became a problem obviously but i I just felt like I wanted to say that. Um, lust, lust for me is, is wanting, needing, um, you know, they talk about this God-shaped hole. So back in the day, I didn't know it was a God-shaped hole. I just knew it was a hole. And I needed to, to fill that hole. I needed to fill that hole to feel good about myself or to feel maybe not good, but not bad about myself. It's, it's, it's wanting to fill that hole. It's, it's needing, needing to not be uncomfortable in any way. It's, it's not, it's, it's not being able to be alone with myself. It's, just taking, 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 taking. I have to. I have to always be taking and filling myself up, or, or I'll die. That, that's what lust is to me.
0: Thanks. So you've seen a lot of newcomers come into the rooms. You've you, you've watched essay as you mentioned. You've watched essay just uh, grow. Um, you know. I know that in Jerusalem, there's now, what, 17 meetings a week uh, from one meeting. So th- it's it's quite a big fellowship. And that's just in the English-speaking fellowship. Um, so someone walks into the rooms, and you've seen a lot of that. You've been in a lot of newcomer meetings. And they are convinced that they're different, or that no one's ever done the crazy things they've done. And how is this? You know, nothing's worked for me. How is this going to work for me? All of a sudden, something's going to work. What do you have to say to them?
1: Um, the first thing I have to say to them is, welcome, and I offer them a cup of coffee. Um, the second thing I say to them is, oh, did they tell you there are women in the room? (laughs) Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. So, the, first of all, we say, you know, go to six meetings before you decide anything. Um... I get. I think I don't really hear so much of that question. Um, we have we have an essay, an what we call a newcomers meeting, and people get to speak a little bit longer than they normally would get to speak. So not everybody gets to speak, and we talk about our own history and and our recovery. And by the time the meeting has gone on for a while, so the newcomer already. He understands that he's not so unique. Um, It's a rare newcomer indeed who does not, who still hangs on to that. Well, I'm unique. I I remember when I first joined program, someone told me, "You know, you're not going to die of terminal uniqueness." And I was very offended because I knew I would die of terminal uniqueness. Well, you know what? Even being a woman, I'm not unique. And and none of us really are. We all we're all doing the same thing. I think addicts across the board. We're all doing the same thing, trying to fill up what's missing, and we don't know what's missing. And and I think that for the most part, it's my experience that after people are in the room, sometimes even the first day, but certainly in short order. They they come to understand that they really are not um, unique, and and they and, and people who who stay, they're the ones who who hang in there and and get recovery. Uh, people who leave, so they're not ready. Um, some say, you know, well, they're just not in enough pain, and when they're in enough pain, they'll come back. I think that's true for a lot of people. I think some people are just so frightened. Maybe that's more of a woman thing. I'm not sure. I've, I've seen a lot of women come, stay for a couple of meetings, and then leave. I think more than men, um, proportionally. I, I, it's scary. It's very scary. What is going on here? What are they talking about? And I came into program and I thought when I first started program, you know, 12 steps. Okay, what is that, 12 weeks, 12 months, whatever it is, then I'll graduate, I'll be out of here. Okay, I could do that, you know, twelve a year. I could do that. And then you find out, well, actually, that's not true. I, um, I go to meetings. I go to meetings because I need the meetings and the meetings need me. Um, there's a very big... Um, emphasis on giving back, also from a program perspective, and also from my own um, own religious perspective. You know, you don't, We don't want to take. We've been take. I've been a taker um, most of my life, and and I want to give back, and I'm happy to give back. And and when I see newcomers come in and they're shaky and they're confused and they're in pain. I relate to that very much and, and I think you know, I often I'm very big on the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. I get to meetings early, I leave late, I talk to people and I think that that, that helps that helps new people be more comfortable in the room, be a little less afraid and and be willing to to open their ears a little bit more than than they would if they just kind of snug in and snug out and didn't talk to anybody. So
0: that's what I think about
1: newcomers.
0: Yeah, well, I definitely had a tough time getting rid of my terminal uniqueness. Um, and I, think, uh, there's a, I think there's a part of us that kind of really enjoys it, especially the addict, but um, there's another part which is all about becoming a bozo on the bus, right? Which is just being being part of the of the greater whole and um yeah that's definitely definitely been a big change in my life my uh my movement from terminally unique to uh terminally sick and not that unique (laughs) Uh, um (laughs) so so, okay so i'll stay for a few meetings that the newcomer will will buy into this you know reality we'll we'll give it a shot what are they got to do to get sober? What's your, you know, what's, where, where will you take the newcomer on day one? And what would you suggest that they have to do in order to, to get sober? Something that they've never been able to do before.
1: Okay. The very first thing they have to do is get a sponsor. We can't, we can't do this alone. I certainly couldn't have done it alone. I've never seen, I've never had in my experience seeing anyone who has done it alone. Um, and, and I just want to say something about sponsorship. Um, you're not married to your sponsor. I, um, when I first started, so there was one other woman in the room and so I took her as my sponsor. And, and for a variety of reasons, it didn't work out. Um, and, uh, and then uh, she actually left program. And then I had to find another sponsor, and I found another sponsor. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've worked with people. I've taken people to be a sponsor, and we've gotten to a certain point, and then they wanted to switch sponsors, or I suggested they switch sponsors. Um, no one person can fill all of a person's needs. And, and sometimes we feel like, okay... Um, you know, I like what this, uh, how do you pick a sponsor? Find someone who has what you like and ask them to sponsor you. What, what isn't part of that little sentence that we say is, and then do what they did. <laughs> that somehow doesn't always, um, pe- people have often wanted what I have but haven't been willing to do what I do. Um, but, you know, I had a sponsor and then lay- then. Later, I became their sponsor. They became. I had a sponsor who then later I sponsored. Um, it can work out that way. We. To get into recovery, we... I've spent my whole life just trying to make myself comfortable. And. One of the things I had to learn in recovery, first of all, is that I can't think straight. Oh, in the beginning, uh, I used to call my sponsor so often, I could not, I knew I couldn't think straight, so I guess that was a bonus. But because of that, I didn't, I I did not make any decisions without running by my sponsor. Um, I mean, okay, maybe what to wear in the morning or something like that, but beyond that, I, I, um... I used to run everything by my sponsor. And it got to a certain point where I started being able to think a little bit, and I would think about what I thought the answer should be, the, the recovering answer should be. And I talked to my sponsor, and very often it turned out that my sponsor's answer was the same as the one I had come up with myself. And that started happening more and more and more, and and I it it's one of the miracles of program i got my brain back i got my 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 ability to think things through clearly back it was so exciting so today i don't call my sponsor so often um but if i have some some major decision or or something really bothering me i run it by if not my sponsor then someone else who knows my stuff who's aware of of my my difficulties, things I trip over and and I talk it out um, so that that really works for me um so get a sponsor and if you if that sponsor doesn't work out, you can get another one that's not a problem and then do what your sponsor suggests as a sponsor we're not we're not in the business of trying to fix people or tell people what to do. We share our experience, strength, and hope. So, I'm sharing it with you, and I'm telling you in this situation, this is what I have done in the past. So, do it. <laughs> and and sometimes, sometimes, you get, you get, well, I'm afraid if I do that, then what are the repercussions going to be? And. And so I would talk to my sponsor anytime I would love to say, I would absolutely love to say that I always ran and did everything my sponsor told me. But that would be an unfortunate untruth. But anytime my sponsor told me something that didn't suit well with me for whatever reason, I would go back and talk to my sponsor about it. And either my sponsor would... Reframe it in a way that i it did sit well with me, or would come up with an alternate um, an alternate suggestion that got to the same ends as the original suggestion did, but something that I could live with um, so it, it's very important to trust your sponsor and and, and share everything. You know, I had a sponsor once who, she she used to like tell me part of a story. And I didn't realize this at first. And I would respond to her based on what she would tell me. And then she would have a problem with, I, with what I was saying. And it would turn out that there would be more information that she hadn't revealed that changed the picture very much. So, get a sponsor. Be honest with that sponsor um, and, and follow that sponsor's suggestions. Now, I could go on and list the rest of the stuff, you know, do the steps, be involved in program, um, do your reading, do your writing, use all the tools, but I don't need to say that. Once, uh, once, I'm, tell, once I'm telling somebody, get a sponsor and follow your sponsor's suggestions and trust your sponsor, and work with your sponsor. So that's everything. Um, and if I make a list of all the other things, then someone out there might think, oh, I can just do that. I don't need a sponsor. I'll just do what this lady over here suggested. So I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: Yeah, it, it, last night, uh, Harvey uh, did, uh, did a talk, and he said something really really true he said it's not a cookie, it's not a cookie cutter program but there is a cookie cutter result um mm-hmm. and, and it really struck it really struck me and it's exactly what you're saying because ultimately you know with, for each of us there's, there's certain specific things that we that we might need to do more than somewhat, you know more than another person and and, that, and in that sense it's not a cookie cutter program but that 12 step promise of a spiritual experience is a, it it is the result of the steps, which is, yeah, it's kind of similar to what you're saying. Um, what do you say to someone who keeps relapsing?
1: Um, what do I say? Indeed. Um, I first of all, I like to meet with my sponsors in person. Um, I think there's a lot of communication that goes on that is nonverbal and and I can I can pick up a lot of things that I might not pick up over the phone. So this would definitely be a conversation in person. I not that I never talk to my sponsors on the phone, but I I like to meet with them somewhat regularly. Um I would ask the person what's going on. What's what happened in this last episode what happened and they would tell me a story and and i would get back to it yeah but what what was going on what was in your head what you know what what's driving you and and do you want to be sober do you really you know do you meet the third step requirement the only requirement for membership is a desire to become to, to stop lusting and become sexually sober. I recently had a sponsor who who was very into just doing the least amount possible, like just kind of walking the line. And every every suggestion I made um met with, with um, um argument. <laughs> and and I was I finally, and know, realized this is a pattern going on. We, didn't we only work together for about a month, maybe a little less? And I and I asked the sponsor, you know, do you do you meet the third the third requirement the the requirement of the third tradition? And the answer was no. And the sponsor went and thought about it and came back to me, and and the answer really was no. And and that can be. I, this person was very honest, but I think that people who who are continually relapsing um, are not really willing to let go of their disease. I, I, maybe that sounds judgmental. I don't mean it to be judgmental. It's just a fact. Um, there's a lot of fear in letting go of something that's become um a friend, um, a comfort. A lot of fear, a lot of pain. And and the idea like really, I'm I'm not gonna I, I shouldn't be be doing X, Y, and Z, and I shouldn't be thinking X, Y, and Z. And, and you know, in early recovery, um, I had to be very careful. Careful about where I went, about who I spent time with, all, all kinds of things. Um, now, um, I don't have to be as careful. My sobriety is well founded, I have new habits. Um I I'm not I'm not talking about pornography or, or sexual things now. I'm just talking about you know, going you know, sometimes just going someplace could be a trigger for me. Like, oh, you know, that was the place, you know, where such and such happened or, or whatever. And now a lot of those things don't bother me. Um, I remember hmm, It was relatively early recovery, but it wasn't like my first year, I don't think. Um, I was on a bus, and it was summer, and the bus was very crowded. And there was this guy in the bus, and he was standing. The bus was really packed, and he was standing right next to me. And um, I was really triggered. I was really triggered. And I thought, you know, I could just, I was sitting on the aisle seat, and I thought, I could just put my hand out and touch him, and, and he wouldn't even realize it. And do you know what I did? i this, this was like my proudest moment. At the next bus stop, I got off the bus. And then I waited, and the next bus came, and I got on the next bus. And, and I really am very proud of that. Um because I really, really didn't want to do that. But more than I wanted to touch him, I wanted to stay sober. And and I knew that if I touched him, that was going to set off a whole bunch of stuff in me that wasn't going to be healthy. That only happened once. Um, since then, I've certainly been on buses where there have been people who who might have tempted me but I didn't feel tempted Um, recovery just like the disease we didn't become full-fledged sexaholics overnight I didn't become a full-fledged sexaholic overnight but it grows starts off with this starts off with that then we get to a certain point I get to a certain point I did something that I was very unhappy about having done I said oh I'm never going to do that again no, not true, not true at all um there's There's someone who I know from program who who likes to say there are two kinds of sexaholics. There are two kinds of things I'm sorry that sexaholics do. There are things that I've done and things that I haven't done yet and and that that's how how that's how the disease grows. And that's also how recovery grows. It, i'm I'm much I'm much cleaner than I was in early recovery. On the one hand, on the other hand, I'm much freer than I was in early recovery. Every little thing doesn't bother me like it once did. And if something does bother me, I eliminate it immediately, so that I don't ever get to that point. You know they talk about, the first step one, we're powerless over lust, and our lives have become unmanageable. So what does it mean that we're powerless over lust? So we're not, act, no one, none of us is acting out 24-7. Um, it's not, I don't think, possible. Um, so before we act out, we're not acting out. And that's the time to, to deal with the issues. There's always time from the time a person feels triggered until the time they act out. Sometimes it could be m- minutes, and sometimes it could be days or weeks. But whatever it is, as soon as I feel triggered in some way, I take positive action, I get to a meeting, I make a phone call, I read, I write, I, whatever it is I need to do, I do it, and I don't wait until I can't take it anymore, and then I act out, because once we become powerless, we are powerless, and, and I find the key to my sobriety, one of the keys to my sobriety, is don't allow myself to get to the place where I am powerless. Um, what was the question? I've I've kind of lost my focus.
0: <laughs> well, it was really about the um, about the relapse. So the the other question is, you know, dealing with withdrawal. Do you have any? You know, did you ha- have any experience with with, with withdrawal? And uh, yeah, it was horrible. Suggestions? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was horrible. So um, I I went to a lot of meetings. Um and in those days there weren't so many meetings, but whatever meetings I could get, you know, there were I got to. And um and I did a lot of a lot of reading, a lot of a lot of talking on the phone. You um, and one of the complaints that some people have is they say, you know, recovery could take over your life. Like and In a way, in early recovery, that's true, because before that, the addiction took over our life. So, yeah, recovery, I spent a lot of time doing different things for recovery, absolutely, immersing myself in recovery. But as time went on and I got healthier, I started to get a life. Um, a number of years ago, I went back to school. I, I was a terrible student. When I told my mother that I was going back to school and I was loving it, she couldn't stop laughing. I mean, that was the last thing she might have expected from me. But I started. I, I have a new career. Um, and and I, I have a life. And and I don't go to five meetings a week anymore. And I don't spend, you know, most of my day doing recovery things. Um, but I live recovery. I, I live in recovery. And as, just like when when I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm thirsty, I drink. When I'm, when I'm feeling uneasy, <laughs> I, rec- I do recovery. Um, and I keep a... Um, what do you call it? Um, you know, a maintenance. A maintenance of it. You know, like... Like, um, oh, like. Okay, so I have high blood pressure. Not very high, but my doctor is very cautious. And so I take medicine every day. Not that I check my blood pressure and it's high today, so I take my medicine today. No, I take my blood pressure medicine every day. So I do recovery every day for maintenance... Um, but it's not all-encompassing in the same way it was when I was
0: new in recovery. Let's talk about the first step a little bit further. What uh, the, one of the big questions was, you know, am I a bad person? What What do you say to that? What's your response to that? But you know, pe- pe- there's a okay. lot of shame and and guilt that comes along right. with this disease. Right. Um, and shame says that I am bad, right? So how do you respond to that? How do you understand that?
1: Okay. So one of the things, one of my character defects is being judgmental. And I've come a long way with it, but it's still there. Um, and and I think we often, many of us are judgmental and we judge ourselves worth of all. And, and, and that's a big problem. And I tell people, listen... You may be a bad person. I don't know you very well. We're talking about someone I don't know very well, right? Um, You may be a bad person. I don't know. But your sexaholism is no indication of if you're a bad person or not. Your sexaholism is a disease, and you have a disease. You're not bad trying to get good. You're not well trying to get healthy. And, And that's... And then I'll talk about it a little bit depending on whatever the person has put forth. Um, we, Many of us, I, have done some things that were bad. My, my disease has pushed me into doing some bad things. And, um, and the steps help us, help us deal with that. Um We make amends to the best of our ability, and we move on um, the you know people don't like being told they're sick, but compared to bad, sick is much better um and and while we don't in 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 twelve step we don't say. There's a cure, but there's a reprieve. There's, there's a um, I, I don't know my words are, are losing them a, a reprieve. We, we take our medicine, we do what we need to do, and we can be happy, joyful and free till the end of our lives, which hopefully is long and healthy and happy. Um,
0: how, how do you understand unmanageable?
1: <laughs> how I understand unmanageable? Yeah, is I have to act out. I have no. I, I I feel like if I if I don't act out, I'm gonna die. And and it doesn't matter that I'm. I'm cutting class. Oh, when I was in college, it was so bad. It was really bad when I was in college. And and it just you know, when I think about all the lost opportunity and and the wasted money, it, it, it makes me wanna cry. Um that's unmanageable. When 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 I'm trying to when I was trying to not act out but then I couldn't do anything else and just, you know, like crawl up with a book and not, not meet any of my obligations. Um, it spills over into so many things. Um, it, it's not our disease is physical, emotional, and spiritual. And and it it all interacts with each other. So when when I'm in when I would be in disease mode, it it took me away from from living life, and and that was unmanageable.
0: And how do you understand the allergy?
1: Um. Yeah, I have a I have a technical problem with that word. I I know they use it in in all the twelve step um, groups, and and what they mean by that is when you, when when we're exposed to an allergen, so then we react in in not good ways. Um, I I suffer very much from hay fever, and um, I always understood an allergy to mean that it releases um, histamine. And that's what makes our nose run and our eyes water and all the rest of that. And and that's not what happens um, with addiction. But what does happen is we expose ourselves or become exposed to the allergen, in this case, lust. And then we ju- it just triggers us to want more and more and more and more. Um, it, it's it's the unmanageability part. It's crossing that line. The you know like the idea like well I'm just a little bit and then it'll it'll calm me. No, a little bit isn't going to calm me. A little bit is going to just make me sicker. It's going to put me back out there. And and. I don't want to go back out
0: there. Thanks, Claire. So let's talk about uh, surrender. How do you understand surrender? What do you do to surrender? What does it mean to you?
1: <clears throat> what do
0: I do to surrender?
1: Well, I have a friend in program, I used to talk to her, she's actually from a different program. Um. And and there would be whatever would be going on, going on, and I would be in crisis mode, and and I and I and I'd be like, okay, I'd like I just need to, I need to, to surrender this, and and know that you know that this person is this person, and I'm me, and I don't have to um, take on what this person is putting on me, or whatever the situation would be. And she always always used to stop and and tell me to stop and say, wait, you're skipping a step. Before you can surrender and move on, you have to feel your feelings. And, and, oh my goodness, as an addict in early recovery, the last thing I wanted to do was feel my feelings. Um, That's what my addiction was all about, not feeling my feelings. And... And she taught me that I can feel my feelings, and it won't kill me, and then I can get past it. Because as long as I hadn't felt my feelings, and acknowledged my feelings, I I couldn't really surrender it. I couldn't really let go of whatever it was. Because those unexperienced feelings would be gnawing away at me. Um, from the inside out, and, and it, it blocked me from, from moving forward. So, first, I have to feel my feelings. Okay, and what does it mean to surrender? For me, it means to appreciate that there's a higher power that runs the world, and, and I believe that this higher power of good and whatever this higher power does is for the good, and so, if I see something or I experience something that I think is not good i have to I have to remind myself it is good, I just don't see it. Well that's like really hard. Come on, give me a break. Except I've had a few experiences in my life where I actually got to see how something that seemed bad really was good. I don't know, I don't know, Daniel, if you know this, but when I was 20 years old, I was in a very bad car accident. I broke my neck, literally, and and it's an absolute miracle that I'm walking around today. Um, and all the parts work. I have a little numbness in one of my fingers from a, from a bruised nerve, but it, it's really nothing significant, and I am really grateful for that. But at the time, and this, was, this is definitely something that goes into the this is bad category, um, but in time, so many good things happened to me as a result of the fact that I had that car accident, um, I, it was the beginning of my becoming religious. I am a religious woman, and I did not grow up religious, and that was the beginning of my becoming religious. It was the beginning of my having a relationship with my higher power. I was convinced I was being punished for my sins, um, of which I felt that I had many. And um, and I started, like, really thinking about the fact that there is higher power in the world who is watching me all the time. And in time, I was able to see, you know, the goodness in that. Um, I... Trying to think, there there were very many things. There were there was an outpouring of love from so many people when I was laid up. Um, I afterwards had nightmares for probably about a decade about it, and and I, I I just had it was a, it, it it turned out to be an ex, a spiritual experience for me and i kept reconnecting to my higher power and i and i kept seeing seeing inner strength that i would not have imagined i had and and it was it was amazing um so that's one one example about that Childbirth is another one. You know, at the time of childbirth, person is in tremendous pain. That that's known, that's given. Um, but then you have this beautiful child, this this incredible human being that you have, even though you went through this painful experience. Um, in in more simple language, you know, we we. We take our children to the doctor to get vaccinated, and our children think that we're being, you know, mean because we're letting this doctor stab them with a needle, and they don't understand that we're protecting them from deadly diseases. Um, there are just so many things. And because of that, and because I know that, when I don't see the good in something, I'm able to still believe that there is good. Because I've seen it in other areas, so it must be true in this area also. Um, yeah, what was the question?
0: Um, well, we were talking about surrender, but we went off into uh
1: Yeah, it, it, so, uh, so surrender. So, yeah, so this higher power is the one in charge, not me. And and since everything that happens really is good whether i know it or not i'm more able to to let things go i definitely see in recovery that i don't get i don't get angry so quickly at, at things at people at, at places and i'm and i'm much more quick to be forgiving and and to, to surrender, to let things go. Okay, this happened. All right, it happened. Whatever will be, will be. Um, when I hold on to resentments, pain of any kind, it destroys me. It doesn't destroy anybody else. And, and I don't want that poison in my system. Um, it blocks me. It blocks me from from whatever good I might otherwise have. Um, it eats up my energy. It drains my me physically. I, I need to surrender. Uh,
0: tell me a little bit about complacency. Uh, what do you do to stay away from getting complacent in your program, uh, coming back to meetings? What helps you with that?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Um, so definitely <clears throat> definitely having a service position helps. Um when I don't feel like going to a meeting. I'm um, gonna think, Oh, I'm 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 the treasurer, I have to go collect money or, or I set up coffee and I I have to I have to get there to set up the coffee so people will have their coffee or or whatever the the service position happens to be. Um, I've had... I've I've probably held every service position that we have, most of them, um, many times over. I mean, in 19 years, I've had lots of opportunities to do service, and I take that opportunity. Um, So that gets me to a meeting, um, but you know, I can get to a meeting and and feel like ugh, oh, I don't really want to be here and start daydreaming. But invariably, I'll hear something at the meeting that lights my fire, and and I'm and I'm back being focused. Oh, so getting to a meeting is is a huge way for me to. To not fall into complacency or to get out of it if I have fallen into it in some way. Um, also do talking to other people, talking to other people, other addicts in recovery.
0: Great. Let's talk now a little bit about relationships. Um, how have you learned how to have a healthy relationship? What do you understand a healthy relationship to be, to look like? Um mm.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, this could be, uh, you know, an all-day discussion, but let's see if I can hone in on on the finer points. Um, I'm not perfect. Neither are you. Neither is anybody. That's a given. I, I used to go to a writing meeting at one point, and invariably, no matter what the topic was in my writing, I in my writing somewhere, it would say, I'm human, therefore I will make mistakes. So I'm human, therefore I will make mistakes. Oh, you're human, you will also make mistakes. So that's, that's a big thing to remember in relationships. Um, there are different kinds of relationships. So I have a very, very good friend who shares some of my husband's um, negative character traits. And um, with my husband, so sometimes it really makes me crazy. Um, He doesn't want to hurt me. My husband loves me very much. I'm very grateful for my husband. Um, But sometimes I feel like he just is making me crazy. With my friend, who maybe does the same thing, I don't, I don't care as much. So, instead of focusing on, on the things she's doing to make me crazy, I'll take some positive action about it. I'll change the topic or whatever it is. And, and that's a good rule of thumb. Also, with my husband um the the problem that I get into the more I care, so then the bigger everything becomes and and when when living with somebody, whether it's a spouse or whether it's children or parents for that matter, so it, we we can't just escape, and it's harder to just you know let it go, surrender it, surrender it right surrender um but I have learned to, to be more accepting of things. And no one person, I was talking about this with regard to sponsorship, but in relationships also, no one person is going to meet all my needs and be who I need them to be every, every time you know we spend any time together. Um, so I have a social network. Of recovery and non-recovery people, and I'm able to talk to someone who will understand me or who I can, I, I can feel comfortable venting if I have to vent. Um, I, I, that, that's such a big thing. Having a social network is a huge um, help in all relationships. Um I <clears> lost <throat> my turn of thought, I was just gonna say something. I oh. So when you know they say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. So I've learned that it's it's Kadai to oil all the wheels, not just the squeaky ones. When something bothers me I'm very quick to say, you know, this bothers me. Can you do X? And it occurred to me that I should be going out of my way to, to say, anytime I think something nice about someone, I tell it to them. And this is especially true about, about my husband. Um, whatever it is, and 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 to to say thank you. you know, my husband thinks it's his job to take out the garbage. A lot of men think it's their job to take out the garbage. Mm, taking out the garbage, what's the big deal? Garbage goes out. No big deal. I make a point of thanking my husband. Thank you for taking out the garbage. And 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 if I think he said he shared something that was particularly poignant. I'll say, wow, that was really that was that was really good. That really made me think, or um, I really liked what you said at the shop table, or, or whatever it is. I make a point of commenting any time I think something positive. I say it out loud to the person, and and I think that's probably the single biggest. Um, Glue in in our relationship, in 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 all my relationships, both with my friends. Um, you know, I, I I I this is relatively new behavior, um, and I I see how it makes such a difference. I love to hear something nice about myself when someone pays me an honest compliment. I know how that makes me feel. Well, why wouldn't I want to make everyone in my life feel that good and And it doesn't have to be something big. it can be something little and And I'm happy to say my husband has picked up on this. Um, you know he thanks me for for making a meal um, or for doing laundry or whatever and it's very nice and and when when I'm focused on on the positive things about people. Well, then I'm not so focused on the negative things, yeah, there are still things that bother me, and yeah, I still you know bring it up in program. I've learned a p- more appropriate ways of bringing up negative things, but the emphasis on the positive and and that it certainly helps other people, but it helps me helps me
0: um did you uh, did you want to share anything about being what it's like being married to a sexaholic and getting married to a sexaholic?
1: Yeah, so I okay. So the cat's out of the bag. I'm married
0: to a sexaholic.
1: Um, we actually met in the rooms, <clears throat> and pretty quickly we realized that there was some some kind of chemistry going on, and I. Um, I said, no, I, you know, I need recovery. And we talked one, one time at length, and I don't speak, I'm here in Israel, I don't speak Hebrew very well, um, certainly in those days even less, um, but my husband does speak Hebrew, and so we agreed he would go to the Hebrew meetings, I would go to the English meetings. And, um, and, and we, we kept that for a few years. Um, until I felt ready to uh, to date, and then we dated, and the rest is history. Um, the nice thing about being married to a sexolic, to an addict, is that we understand each other. If I need to go to a meeting, he understands I need to go to a meeting. Um, if I look at something from a program perspective, he understands that perspective. Um, we may, may not always be holding on the same page. We're almost never holding on the same page. But, but we speak the same language and we understand. And I understand, you know, that you know, recovery isn't a straight line. He understands recovery isn't a straight line. Um, one of my... I, I'm an active member of FNNN. As well, um, it's, I'm having a hard time. I I work a stronger program than my husband. That's the reality. What can I say? Um, before we got married, I spoke with his sponsor, and not his sponsor, his therapist. He also spoke with mine, um, and uh, and his therapist warned me. He said, you know, I, I want to know, like is this man, he. A, 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 a vessel for marriage, and and he said yes. He definitely felt that he was. He said, having said that, I will say he does not work the program you work, and probably never will. Um, but yes, he is a vessel for marriage, and and I I married him, and his therapist was correct. He does not work the program I work, but he works program. And, and, but I, I really have to work as and on and, and I have to remind myself that he has his journey. I have my journey. Sometimes I cross, sometimes I don't. And, and that's okay. Um, yeah, sometimes I get frustrated. I, I guess he gets frustrated too. I'm much better at expressing myself than he is. Um, so I, I can't really speak for him in any case, but um, we have an understanding for each other and respect for each other, and and we both understand that um, there's more than me. There's more to each of us than meets the eye and and we're able to to connect on that level. Um, yeah. Yeah. I um I think it's good. I think it's good to, to be married to someone who who understands 12 step and and who who understands it from the inside.
0: Um, Definitely interesting um I guess getting married uh in recovery uh, to someone in the rooms rather than, you know, both finding out after marriage that you're, that you're an addict, you know, it's a, definitely a different experience. Yeah.
1: yeah. Hold can on we talk? Li- <coughs> <coughs> I'm getting over a chest cold. I'm sorry.
0: It's fine. Um, can we talk a little bit about your relationship with your higher power? How do you experience that?
1: Mm- yeah we can um, so i i grew up in a traditional but not religious home um I became religious um in my late twenties actually um, but i I have a hard time with the official prayer book. Um, I use it. Not as much as some people do, but I definitely do go there. Um, my my best communication with my higher power is when I take a long, quiet walk and and just pour my heart out and and i just tell my higher power whatever it is that i that i need to talk to about and and then i and then i wait for the answers um i i'm aware of my higher power in a very real way almost all the time Everything I do. My sponsor is very big on fear and gratitude lists. And so fear's okay. Gratitudes, sometimes that's a little harder. And and one time I just I was in such a bad place. I remember I just couldn't think of any gratitudes. Couldn't think of any gratitudes at all. And my sponsor said things to me like you know well, just think about how your fingernails protect the top of your finger and and is it amazing you know that you inhale and the air goes in into your lungs and and your your blood takes what it needs from that air and and just all these very simple well, or not so simple things, but these very everyday kinds of things and and my sponsor just opened my eyes to all the many, many gifts of my higher power. And, and the gratitudes just were able to pour out of me at that point, even when things were, were bad. And, and because of that, because of that experience, it's made me aware of my higher power in, in everyday life, in, in everyday things. So no matter what I'm doing, um, I know that my higher power is there, cheering me on, you know, helping me to be the best person I can be. And and I'm just very aware of it. I I I, at the risk of sounding cliche, I feel like I walk with God. And and I and I pray, I pray that I should always feel that way.
0: And what about a spiritual experience? How have you experienced a spiritual awakening in your life?
1: Any Mm, examples? Yeah, I had a feeling you were going to ask about that. I don't know how to answer it so well. Um, It's kind of all spiritual. Um, I guess one of the ways... And, you know, I I try to do the right thing. The right thing. What I think my higher power wants me to do. <clears throat> and I remember talking to my daughter-in-law once, one of my daughters-in-law. And I, I, I was saying something, I don't remember what it was even. But I was saying how you know, I didn't really want to do that, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do. And so I went ahead and I did it. And and she said, you know, I hear you say that a lot. I'm like, say what? And she's like, that you do things because you think they're the right thing to do, even though you don't want to do them. And I never thought about it even, and I certainly never thought about the fact that I'd ever mentioned anything about it. And... And it it made me realize that yeah, I really do. I I do what I think higher power wants me to do, even when it's against my will. Very very often. And that is a that is spiritual. That is that that's very much my connection with my higher power. You know, I was saying earlier how, you know, get a sponsor and then take your sponsor's suggestions. Well, I, I really, really try to take my higher power suggestions. Cause my higher power knows better than I do. That's for sure. Um, as far as, like, that spiritual awakening that they talk about, you know, I I don't have the Bill W. experience. I didn't have that. But I I got healthy enough to separate from my first very sick husband emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, I'm I got healthy enough. To get a new career. I I've gotten healthy enough to set healthy boundaries with people across the board, people I'm closer with, people I'm less close with. Um and that's my spiritual experience. It it's it, it it unfolds in the way I live my life. And and the fact that I and I'm very aware of my higher power watching over me and happy about
0: it. Can we talk a little bit about the difference between sobriety and recovery? What do you see to be the difference?
1: Mm-hmm. So in early recovery, um, I, I was sober, but I wasn't feeling good. At all, early recovery, and I was, and I said to my 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 sponsor, you know, well, this isn't, I don't feel sober. And my sponsor said to me, "No, you are sober. You may not be serene, but you are sober." So sober is not acting out, and while we have a. Basic definition of sobriety um, everyone everyone I know who who stays sober has added to that definition and and we're we don't do the things we're not supposed to do, and that's sober being in recovery is Is taking, is experiencing that sobriety. It's it's being aware of of what's going on inside of us, inside of me. Of of putting into action the twelve steps. It's it's becoming a better me um becoming a better me being aware doing what my higher power wants from me and being happy to do it even if it's not something i want it's i often hear people say you know i'm not really willing to do this but i'm willing to become willing that's recovery Willing to become willing. Um, being being more than one step ahead of my disease. Willing to, to look at my character defects and, and do what I need to do about them. Willing to look at my character assets and seeing how I can expand them. Um, knowing that that I'm not the center of the world. I know, you know, often, you know, people will share in a meeting, you know, I discovered in program, I'm not God. And, and I used to always joke, of course you're not God. How could you be God? There's only one God, and I'm God. Um, so, he's not God, I'm not God. God is God. And... And being in recovery for me is is acknowledging that from a place of absolute belief, absolute knowing, yeah, I am not God and and there is God and and I I, I want to do his will to the best of my ability. Um, recovery is is caring about my person, one personal appearance. Um, I, I'm more. I'm, I'm I take more care in the way I dress than I used to, especially if, if I work them and I really don't feel so good if I'm. Upset about something or angry about something, I make a point to to dress a little bit better even than I might have, because it makes me feel better and it puts me in a better mindset. But when I got dressed, I wasn't in that good mindset. But that's a piece of recovery. What what can I do? What can I do that's going to make me a better person today? And the answer to that is different on different days. That's for sure true. But recovery is 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 being open to to those questions, and and to be willing to find appropriate answers.
0: Can we talk a little bit about the steps? How do you understand? what the steps are. And I don't mean what is each step in turn and what does each step do. I mean, as a spiritual whole, a spiritual body, how do you understand well, the steps?
1: How do I understand the steps? I, um, I tend to be a very cerebral person. And that was one of the first things my sponsor, um, did, tried very hard to break in me. Um, don't think about the steps so much as do them. Having done them uh, a number of times, a good number of times, um, so again, step, step one, two, and three, prepare me to take the actions I need to be in recovery. Um... I have a disease. It's unmanageable. I I can't manage it, but God could manage it, and and I'm gonna let Him. And and that's that's hard work, you know. And and part of what makes it hard is because in the meantime, I'm I'm still not taking actions with my disease. It was not obvious actions. And um, and I'm just trying to work on some kind of a connection with a higher power, and that connection certainly has grown, um, and is is definitely a different kind of a connection than I got through my my religious experience. Um, okay, then. Four through nine, call called the action steps. I don't know, they're all kind of action steps, but um, looking, being honest with myself. You know, I was really putting off doing my first, fourth step because I knew step five was to tell it over. And I thought, I, I, I can't do that. And a very wise program person said to me, don't worry about step five. You're not on step five. Do step four, and uh, and then when you get to step five, you'll decide if you're going to do it or not. Uh, It's a big thing in program. Don't think too far ahead about things that you have no control over. Um, Good advice in lots of areas of my life. Um, But I sat down there with step four, and, and I thought, I thought that I had like so many things wrong with me. I, that was also probably why i was why i didn't why I kept procrastinating because I didn't want to look at all the things that were wrong with me. It was just so much, and it weighed so heavily on me. but lo and behold, when I got all done with my step four, it came out i didn't have a hundred things wrong with me. I had a small handful of things wrong with me that just popped out in maybe hundreds of areas in my life, but it was the same basic things that kept tripping me up. And and that was actually very comforting. You know, I don't have so many things wrong with me. I have some things wrong with me. And, and that was very helpful. Then I gave it over, and... I, very non-judgmentally, um, I, I've done, as I said, I've been through the steps a number of times, and I've given my step five over um, to a number of different people, and I've never felt judged. I've never felt judged. Um, nobody's perfect, and and this is part of my process, and and that's good. Now I want to say something about step five. There is a, there's a, an understanding. You could give SIP 5 over to anybody. It doesn't have to be your sponsor. But I want to say, I don't understand that personally because your, my sponsor is the person I go to with what's going on in my life. And if my sponsor doesn't know where I tend to trip and fall what my what my difficulties are in navigating the world, that my sponsor is less equipped to help me. And I feel very strongly that a step five should be given over to the sponsor. And and I have to say, if if when I had someone who didn't want to give over their step five to me, I I told them to find a new sponsor. Not because I was mad at them, but we stayed friends. But because I felt like I was less equipped to be able to help them. And, and I, I think that's a very important thing. I want to put that out there. Well, giving it over to another person, giving it over to God, and, and just saying it out loud to myself to hear it. And and again, as I said, in the end, it wasn't like there were so many things wrong with me. There were a few things wrong, a few traps I tend to fall into, trip over. Um, and it just popped up all over the place. So, six, becoming entirely ready to I want to get rid of it. And seven, humbly humbly asked my higher power to take it away. Oh, that's another thing I do with the steps. I look words up in the dictionary. Um, my sponsor laughed at me, but um, it really helped me. You know, we think we know what it entirely means. We think we know what humble means. And that's a big one because a lot of people equate humble with humiliation, and they're totally not the same thing. You know, humiliation is what somebody does to me, <clears throat> um, and humble is a feeling from inside of of knowing who, who I am and who I'm not. <clears throat> It's um, it's seeing, it's seeing myself in an honest way. you know again, I'm not god and 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 really relating to that is humility. Um, I had an experience once I um. I had made some dresses for a friend's daughters. The older daughter was getting married, and two or three of her sisters um, had dresses that I made for them. And and they came out very nice, and they they were really it it was good. And at the wedding, so many people came up to me and complimented me on the dresses and i was just feeling so prideful and i had a therapist at the time and the next time i saw my therapist i mentioned that i was so filled with pride over this but but negative pride and um and my sponsor, and my my, sponsor, my my therapist said no you got it wrong that wasn't negative pride that was appropriate pride in your part in in what you did, and I said, yeah, but you know, Hashem put it into my into my head and my hands to be able to do this. Well, it's not me; I'm just His vehicle. I've been in program for a while, obviously. And and the therapist said to me, "Yes, you were you were the vehicle, and that's you can feel proud of the fact that you were the vehicle and that you utilized your gifts appropriately." and And it, it things came out you know very nice and and there's absolutely absolutely appropriate for you to feel good about that. that's not excessive pride that's appropriate pride and and that was a good that was a good lesson for me. um not all pride is is bad and and humility isn't denying that I have some good attributes, whatever they might be. That's not humility. Humility is knowing this is what I am, this is what I'm not. Um, That's a biggie. Humbly ask him to remove my shortcomings. So so he didn't, and the big book talks about this as well, he didn't remove all my shortcomings like he removed my lust. Um, But I definitely see... Progress in 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 many areas. Um, I am a better person today than I was twenty years ago, and I am just so grateful to my higher power, to program, to my sponsor, to all the good people in my life. Um, I'm, yeah, humbly ask them to remove my shortcomings. Okay. Now we get to the really hard stuff. Made a list of all persons we'd harmed, and become willing to make amends to them all. Well, okay. I had my list from four. I don't remember if I had to add anything to it or not. But um, I have my list, and um, and I did a worksheet. Where I'm figuring, you know, writing down. Okay. Well, well, what do I really need to apologize for or to make amends about? And um, and then the big book says, you know, make make a list. I think it's in the big book. It so, says, you know, make a, do it in order. You know, the ones that are easy, you have no problem. You don't mind making fine. Then the number two, are so the ones you're not really so happy about making, but you could. And then the ones that you are never, no way, are you going to make amends for those? Not not happening. So you don't look at that list. You look at the first list, you look at the second list, and eventually you look at the third list. But that's how, how I organized my, my Step 8. And in the essay, we have something we call Step eight and a half, which which has to do with forgiveness. And we have to learn to forgive ourselves, and we have to learn to forgive other people. How can I expect anyone to forgive me if i'm still holding a grudge on them or on someone else if i don't have the capability the willingness the love to be able to forgive someone how can i possibly expect that they're going to want to for- that anyone is going to want to forgive me what what does it really mean to forgive and and i had to do quite a bit of work on on figuring out what that really was about, and and as I said, a big one was forgiving myself, um, but also other people. Like I'm not perfect. like I said, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. They're not perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Let's see if we can get past those mistakes. And and that was big. And once I was able to to kind of wrap my head around that, wrap my heart around that, well then I could move on to step nine, which is actually making amends. Um, no amends should be done without running it by my sponsor. Um, it's 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 hard, especially in the beginning, to. To not say, well, I only did that because you did this. That's not what amends are about. Amends are about cleaning my side of the street, and um, and it was something I had to learn how to do appropriately. Um, I have a great story that I love to tell. I had a neighbor once who used to leave their garbage in the hallway, and it's and it wasn't a big hallway and it smelled up the whole way, and it bothered me, and it was also unsightly. And I hated, I hated that they used to do that. And I had asked them not to, but they did it anyway. And finally one day, I just couldn't take it anymore. And the garbage was in the hall, and I knocked on the door, and the, the husband answered the door. And... And I I said, leave this garbage in your house. And I picked up the garbage bag and I put it inside the doorway. I was standing in the hall. He was in his house with the door open. And I put the garbage inside his house. And he got so mad at me. He was yelling and he was like foaming at the mouth. And I looked at him and I said, he looks like an animal. And I... I just immediately shut up. I had started to argue back. And I immediately shut up. And, and I just waited for him to, to finish his tirade. And when he stopped to take a breath, I said, you're right, I'm sorry. He, he was upset that I dared put something in his house. I'm um, still Even until today, I don't really understand what it was about. I mean, I know what it was about, but exactly the point, like his garbage, I put it in his house without walking into his house. But anyway, I just said, you're right, I'm sorry. And he didn't even hear me, and he just went on again. And I waited for another break, and I said, you're right, I'm sorry. And he, he kind of stopped, then and he looked at me, and he said, oh, okay. And I went back in my house, and he went back in his house, and I I don't even remember at that point what he did about the garbage. He probably put it back outside. Anyway, the next day, I mean, I said I was sorry, but it was like when people say they're sorry just like that, it doesn't usually mean much, and nobody really believes anybody's sorry. So I listened the next day. I knew approximately what time he would go out to work. And I I listened for him, and when I heard him opening his door, I opened my door and I met him in the hallway. And I, I walked over to him, it was only a few steps, but I I walked over to him, and I said, "Listen, I'm really sorry about what happened yesterday. I was really upset, and I'm sorry." And he he kind of looked at me and he said, "Yeah, it's okay. Fine." And for many months, he didn't put his garbage out inside, out his door again. Then, eventually, they started doing it. But um, the point is, I made an amends that right away, I said, i was sorry. I could have left it at that, but I knew that wasn't really an amends. And when I walked over to him the next day and made a point when he wasn't mad, I wasn't mad... And I said I was sorry. And I said it in a way that he really could hear that I was sorry. Um, It was amazing. And what was amazing to me was how I felt. I felt like a million bucks. I mean, I already had started feeling good when he was rambling on and on, and I just stood there quietly. I I felt like, well, I'm the better person. Okay, so that gave me something else to work on, but... I um I, I felt good not acting like an animal, and then apologizing in, in a way that he really felt I was apologizing. I, I, I didn't do it for him. I did it for me, and boy, did it work. And, and that's, that, that's, that that amends really helped me to be willing to make other amends. So oh, I had my list one, I had my list two. There wasn't much on my list, three, but there were a couple of things. And uh, in time, though there was one thing, an opportunity presented itself that I was able to take, and and I made an amends, and I did feel better. I really did feel better afterwards. And the last amends had to do with my ex-husband, and, and I didn't think I was ever going to deal with that. And my sponsor said... We're not even going to think about it now, you know just 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 move on and and I did, and it was many years later that an opportunity arose that I was really able to to make a living amends to him and and it's it, it, I'm not carrying it around anymore it's amazing um but even before i had actually made the amends when i i had put it in in perspective and and i knew that it wasn't a back burner it wasn't eating away at me anymore like it once had and and i'm grateful and i i really have forgiven my ex-husband and and i appreciate where he came from and where he is and I'm not sorry that he's my ex, but I'm not, I'm not holding a grudge against him. Um, I just want to say, someone gave me some great advice, which was to pray for him. When I was going through my divorce, I had a really hard time. And, and someone said, just pray for him. Until today, I pray for his well-being. We have a son together, and... Um, it's easy for me to pray for my ex's well-being because if all is good with my ex, that's good for my son. And I'm, I have no trouble at all praying for my son. Um, so till today, I pray for his well-being. That's my step nine experience um, in somewhat of a nutshell. And 11 and 12. So that's, that's what keeps me in recovery. Um, continue to take the tech, tech inventory. Um, I don't write it out hardly ever anymore, but I spend time reviewing my day, reviewing any any big discussion I had with anybody, any any significant interaction I had with anybody. I think about it. Could be I'm folding laundry. Could be I'm doing dishes. Whatever. And and if I find anything that I'm uncomfortable about or that I think maybe they might be uncomfortable about, I go back, I revisit it with the person and clear up any misunderstanding that there might be. Um, that has actually never, ever backfired on me um, because I'm doing it in a... I'm, I'm in a good place when I'm doing it. I'm not angry. I'm not... Hurtful or hurting, either way, and um, and it just really it helps my it helps me stay sober. It helps me be in recovery. Um, it helps me be the person I want to be. Oh, that's something I didn't say. Um, you know, wanting trying to be the person I want to become. Um, they talk about acting if acting as if, and. You know, so people invariably will ask me, well, you know, isn't that being hypocritical? So to be a hypocrite means acting in a way that you think is going to make the other person happy for whatever reason, and you don't feel it at all, and you don't want it. It's just you're doing it um, for because you want to get something out of it one way or another. That's hypocritical. Um, Acting as if is... I, I'm not this person, but this is how I would like to be, but I'm gonna act the way I think the person I wanna be would act, and, and how I do that, I have a lot of people in my, not a lot, I have a number of people in my life who I really admire, different people in different ways, and depending on the situation, I will, I will ask myself, well, how would so-and-so respond to this situation? and then i i i respond the way i think that person would respond not because i'm trying to trick anybody but because i wish that would be my knee jerk response and over time in many cases it's become my knee jerk response i've learned i i've i've trained myself to think differently to reframe things and and to to respond in ways that, that I can be proud of and not ashamed of. You know, I really try not to make situations that I have to do step So over. <laughs> um, but more than that, I, I just, I, I want to be a certain kind of person. And the way I can become that person is by doing the things that that person would do. Um, and I see it's really working for me. So that's nine, no, ten, eleven. Okay, eleven. So, um, prayer and meditation. So they say prayer is talking to God and meditation is listening. Yeah, I think that's true. I, um, you know, I've said talked before a little bit about the way I like to connect with my higher power. Yeah, I use my my official prayer book, at times, but my, my I feel like I really can connect when I just pour out my heart to my higher power. And then I wait and listen to her response. Um I I don't I'm not good at like official kinds of meditation types of, of things but I I do manage to have ways that I clear my head and and just See what comes in. See what my higher power wants to send to me. Well, practicing these practicing these principles in all our affairs, and uh, and helping the newcomer. Oh yeah, I do that. Um, I I mean, helping the newcomer, yeah, in obvious ways. Practicing these principles in all my affairs. It's an extension of just trying to become the person I want to become in all the different areas. And I see that I'm much less judgmental. Um, I'm I'm much less volatile than I was. I don't lose my temper like I did. Um, No other things. I'm much more mellow. People who know me today, they think I'm kind of high strung. But people who knew me before can't get over how mellow I've become. So I guess I still have where to go with that, but I've made a lot of progress. And that's my 12 steps.
0: So we're going to finish with three questions um, that I've been asking everyone. Uh, The first one is, what is the most important thing for you in the program?
1: I'm thinking... The most important thing for me in the program. I mean, I have to say, uh, sobriety. Um, uh, Sobriety is the most important thing for me because without my sobriety, I don't have anything. Um, So then, well, then that means, you know, meetings are most important, and my sponsor is most important, and. Like, it it just, it goes from there, but ultimately, sobriety.
0: And have the 12 promises come true in your life?
1: I think so. I mean, they, some to a greater degree, some to a lesser degree, but yeah, yeah. And I want to point out to people, the promises come after step nine, gotta do the work, you gotta do the work, you gotta earn them. Um, but yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that they do.
0: and finally, what what's the biggest gift that you've received from your recovery and essay?
1: Oh my, so many gifts, the biggest gift Peace of mind peace of mind I'm not I'm not worried that that people are going to find out what I'm doing because I'm not doing um I am I I I I try to do God's will in the world so I feel like I'm doing the right thing in, in general um I'm not anxious about you know where my next hit is going to be or, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm I'm able to to live my life based on whatever is going on. Um, yeah, peace of mind. That's a good question. I'd never really thought about that before. Thank you.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much, Claire, for joining uh, today. I, I really appreciated it, um, and it's, all, it's always, as I said, it's always a pleasure being in meetings with you. And um, and thank you so much. And I hope that people are going to gain from from the chat today. I know that I did. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I I appreciated I appreciated the opportunity to explore my own recovery. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's Essay Fireside Chat. We hope you've enjoyed listening and gained as much as we have producing it. Anything you've heard on this podcast is strictly the opinion of the individual speaker. The principles of Essay are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. If you have any questions you would like to pose to today's speaker or a burning desire to reach out to them, you can write to me at daniel at Safireside.com. Remember, SA is self supporting through its own contributions. You can donate to Seventh Tradition by going to sa.org forward slash donate. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast or visit safireside.com to hear all the previous fireside chats, as well as the future ones as soon as they're released. May God bless you and keep you until then.